0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
1: AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You're listening to the New Yorker Poetry Podcast. I'm Paul Muldoon, the poetry editor of the New Yorker magazine, and it's my great delight to welcome you. And on this programme, we invite poets to choose a poem from the New Yorker archive to read and discuss. And then we ask them to read one of their own poems that's been published in the magazine. And I'm delighted to say that my guest is Ray Armantrout, who won, among other distinctions, the Pulitzer Prize for her great collection, Versed. Welcome, Ray.
1: Thanks for having me, Paul.
0: It's a delight. And the poem you've chosen to read is a poem called The Split, and it's by a colleague of mine at Princeton, as it turns out, Susan Wheeler. Tell us what in particular caught your eye or your ear indeed about that poem.
1: I should start by saying that I've always liked Susan Wheeler's poems. I really like her uh, sense of vernacular. And in this poem, The Split, it's kind of like a really colloquial timor mortis. She's saying goodbye to, apparently, everything and everyone. It's like and yet very different from that Emily Dickinson poem... Because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. Right. Except that she, of course, was moving at carriage speed and it seems like Susan Wheeler is sort of just moving at the speed of a speeding car or something past all of these people and things that she'll never see again.
0: You mentioned Timor Mortis, conturbat May, of course a reference to the poem by the Scottish poet William Dunbar. So let's have a listen to The Split by Susan Wheeler, read here by Ray Armentrout.
1: Bye, kid in the first grade on your paddle cart. Bye, Lorraine, outward bound in the snow. Bye, motorcycle David. Bye, you bright spirits born of my friends, Jimmy, Natalie. Bye, beautiful one, your father said your pink skin would be tender, I was afraid for you. Bye, one's devoted mother, another's devoted son. Bye to Playboy Club Bill, to the Roxy Bill, to the bill going aft with the cross. Bye, dickering friend to Sonia, I wanted to show you up. Bye, Dad, bye, Mom. Bye, Duncan's dancing bear, shining, shining. Bye, great dogs I have known, cats, raccoon I hit. Bye to Bob Liberty, you must be gone. Bye to the beggar no more on his corner. Bye, Ben, sparklers and flowers, the lamp of the music. Bye, Barbara Latham, Abenata, Ray Yoshida. Bye, Gelsey. Bye, Meldrum and Carol, Gladys, Olive Sea. Bye, May and Winslow, my lovely first cousin. Bye to the husband who was the best wife. Bye to those I fear dead. I know you all in his absence tonight. I know you all in his absence tonight.
0: You refer to the fact that uh, Susan Wheeler is really quite adept in the language of everyday mm-hmm. speech, the language of the common man, which, of course, after Wordsworth in particular, was the language in which poetry uh, was written for the most part. But she seems particularly gifted and been able to... Uh, incorporate American patois, if Mm -hmm, we may call mm -hmm, it that, mm -hmm. into her poems.
1: Yes. I was especially taken by her most recent book, Meme, which I think sort of channels the critical voice of her dead mother who uses all of this really outdated American patois and slang to sort of hector her still from beyond the grave. That shows up somewhat in, in this poem too.
0: The term split itself, of course, uh, is used in several ways. Here it certainly seems primarily to refer to the great split, as Mm. it were, the split between us and the mortal coil (laughs) as we go Mm -hmm. shuffling off it.
1: That's pretty clear almost from the beginning. There's one line that's clearly from an obituary, by one's devoted mother, another's devoted son, So we're pretty sure that that's what's happening, but it's also so casual, saying bye instead of goodbye. One thing I really like about this poem is that it's obviously sad, but it's also funny. Raccoon I hit... Something, there's something funny about that. And then the way that she uses words, she takes what might be the name Bill, but she then makes it the Roxy Bill, Playboy Club Bill, which either could be a person or it could be the bill of uh, fair or an advertisement for the Playboy Club. A lot of this very specificity of it I find oddly comical. And that's that's really what I like in it is that it's about... Death and a, a breakup, but it's ultimately sad. But all the way along, it's kind of mixes that sentiment with humor.
0: A great combination in The Split by Susan Wheeler, uh, which was published, by the way, in the June 27th, 2011 issue of the magazine, and it was read there by uh, Ray Armantrout. Now, in the December 16, 2013 issue of the magazine, we were thrilled to publish uh, Ray Armadrout's own poem before, and we're going to ask uh, Ray Armadrout to read that for us now. But before you do that, Ray, if I may ask you if there's anything that you'd like to say about that, perhaps, that would be useful for readers as it uh, flies by their ear. There's a reference, for example, which I myself... Hadn't been aware of. I hadn't really uh, taken on board this particular saint. I was brought up as a Catholic myself and I thought I was pretty au fait with the saints. But Saint Didicus was not one that I knew uh, as such.
1: Well, I don't know him either. I'm not a Catholic, but there is a Catholic school and a church about four blocks from my house called St. Didicus, so they must know what they're doing.
0: (laughs) Your house, uh, I I don't want to specify exactly where you live, but that's in San Diego. Yes. I must say I have to share with you a little something I picked up about St. Didicus, if you don't mind. It has to do with uh, a miracle attributed to him, and um, it has to do with Don Carlos, the prince of Asturias, son of King Philip II of Spain. Uh, Who apparently uh, on the night of April 19th, 1562, you'll be glad to hear, (laughs) uh, he was groping around in the dark after a night spent with some ladies, it seems, (laughs) when he fell down a flight of stairs and landed on his head and his head swelled to an enormous size. And I read here that in a moment of lucidity, he asked that he wanted to make a personal petition to St. Didacus. So the saint's body was brought into his chambers, and one of Carlos's hands placed in the chest of St. Didacus, whereupon we hear the prince fell into a deep and peaceful sleep, and uh, everything was fine after that. He recovered from that uh, near-death experience. But St. Didicus, I suppose, is a name that uh, is worth bearing in mind as it flies by here. Shall we listen to the poem?
1: Okay. Before. Would my life be like a letter to you then? We never wrote letters. I'm passing the signs we slipped by together. There Goes Soda and Swine. That name is funny because it's a joke we shared about alliteration, right? If I can describe the feeling of your absence precisely, which means using the names of things, buds blacken against blanched light, as ever. St. Didicus's Bell's ditty reminds us of itself something old and automated dividing before from now again and again these two for a moment still similar
0: good thank you that was before i must say when i uh, read this poem i was quite struck by the the very delicate aspect of how the poem moves from one line to the next and the terrific tact that is uh, a feature of so many of your poems. I must say I can see, as a number of critics have pointed out, that there is a certain indebtedness in your work uh, to William Carlos Williams, who I think was one of your mentors, and you might perhaps, uh, if not in life, and certainly in spirit. And I feel, though, that, uh, I never feel, uh, I should say, that These poems are in any way derivative of Williams. They're just wonderfully engaging in in themselves.
1: My junior high school English teacher gave me an anthology. It turned out out to be the Lewis Untermeyer anthology of modern American poetry. And there were Williams poems in it. And before that, I had only been exposed to rhyming poems and mostly rhyming narrative poems which my mother read me like The Highwayman for instance.
0: Alfred Noyes. Yes
1: and I I had learned to write poems in meter but I didn't want to do that anymore after I read Williams. I wanted to learn to write what used to be called free verse I found uh, that I, lear- I could learn from his line. I could learn how a poem could still sound good and not have traditional rhyme and meter. So I started working on my poems kind of while reading his during high school and my early college years. So I think mostly I learned about the line from him and the line break, and also how to use sounds other than full rhyme. I mean, you could learn that many places, but I just happened to learn that from him.
0: We we have a reference in the poem to um, alliteration, mm-hmm. and uh, which of course is a feature of um, versification that's mm-hmm. been around really for as long as poetry in English, never mind a few other languages. Mm-hmm. But you, you do, I, I think, rather wittily uh, pick up on the St. Didicus' Bell's ditty mm-hmm. with a little chime in the midst of the line there.
1: Yeah, well, alliteration sort of becomes a subject in the poem. I mean, it's even mentioned. There's soda and swine, and then there's buds blacken, and then there's Didicus's ditty. One reason I wanted to pair it with Susan Wheeler is that I started this poem when I was rather morbidly imagining what my life would be like if my husband, who's alive and well, died, and what the world would look like to me then. So as soon as I had... Imagine driving down the street and passing these signs that I always see with him. Without him, I i, I wondered if, if things would be funny without him. But I think by that point in the poem, I'm already starting to think of the address as not being just to him, my husband, Chuck, but also to the reader who's now going through this with me and seeing these signs and hearing this alliteration. So the reader and I are now also sharing this joke about alliteration. So I think it goes from being to and for my husband to being also kind of to the reader and about itself in a way too.
0: One might say that, as you have indeed just said, uh, that the subject of the poem is absence. Mm -hmm. And of course absence, what's left out of a poem... Uh, what is unsaid in a poem uh, is often a major feature of how a poem functions and I suspect that's true of many of your poems which actually uh, wonderfully, uh, wondrously indeed take up so little space on the page and yet <laughs> seem to uh, to resonate.
1: This is one of my longer poems actually. <laughs> <laughs> this is a magnum opus for me. Yeah, and the poem, of course, does address absence, if I can describe the feeling of your absence precisely, which, of course, I guess would mean um, tersely, which means using the names of things. I found that sort of paradoxical, that in order to evoke the feeling of absence, you have to actually mention things. You have to be specific. You have to create presence in order to talk about absence. And so, at that point, the the poem begins to think about again its own process about how you convey something. How do you convey the feeling of absence?
0: William Carlos Williams had a terrific slogan. Uh, we had several terrific slogans, but one that comes to mind as you speak there is "No ideas but
1: in things." Mm-hmm. But he said that, of course, in a poem. I don't think he meant it literally. I think maybe people take it too literally. I think when he was talking in an essay, he said that he thought that the images in a poem had to arise out of the circumstances of the moment of composition or something like that.
0: Mm -hmm. The combination of the concrete, the thing, Mm -hmm. and the abstract, the idea, if we may describe it as such, and the bringing together of those two is something that is a feature of, I think, another of your um, heroines, Emily Dickinson.
1: She puts words together in a more surprising way than I think any other poet. I mean...
0: Is she the greatest American poet? Yes. I think so.
1: Just uh, that the, the line um, from... I've forgotten the number, but the one that goes, a narrow fellow in In the the grass, grass occasionally rides. You will never see the words narrow and fellow next to each other, I promise, except in that poem. She just makes words stand next to each other and work in a way that is so surprising and startling. She startles you, and I admire that, although I would not especially lay claim to it. I guess what I could take from her is... Well, the way that she boldly argues with God, I suppose, uh, she grew up, of course, in a time and place where religion was a big force. She never gave up being interested in religion, but she does some, as we all know, some very odd things with it, like like when she says uh, the mind is just the weight of God for heft them pound for pound, you know.
0: We claim <laughs> that religion uh, is, is not really a feature of uh, American life, but. Oh, well,
1: we, in San Diego, we know that's not true. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Listen, what a very interesting uh, conversation, Ray Armandtrout. Thank you very much indeed for coming in and talking today about Susan Wheeler's The Split and your own before. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Thank
1: you for giving me the opportunity.
0: It's a pleasure. And until next time, I'm Paul Muldoon. You can subscribe to this free podcast in the iTunes store. You can also hear poems from the magazine read by the authors in the digital edition for tablets and phones, available at no extra charge for magazine subscribers from the App Store or from Google Play. The theme music is The Pentagree Ferryman from the album The Highlander's Farewell by Alistair Frazier and Natalie Haas from Colburny Records. The New Yorker Poetry
1: Podcast is produced by Curtis Fox Productions and newyorker.com with help from Elizabeth Dennison.